We are now on to vision part three of four. So we've gone through just the backstory as to how God has orchestrated things for Freedom Church. He is head of it. He is the one who uh, actually called it into being. Okay, and we heard a few of the stories as to how he's orchestrated his plans right here for Liverpool. And then last week we heard from Matt about essentially, if there's anything you want to remember, it's living free, bringing freedom. What is our vision? It's living free, bringing freedom. And this morning, just as importantly, we're going to be looking at loving God and loving one another. And this essentially is, is what we've been created to do. And this is how we live free and bring freedom to the city of Liverpool. Uh, but I want to start with just a few, a few quotes uh, or a few. These are children given their impression of love. Okay. Um, and they're quite funny, but um, this is their advice, their understanding of what, firstly, love and marriage. Okay. So you've got Mike, age 10, and he's asked about love and marriage, and he says, on the first date, they just tell each other lies. And that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. Howard, at Kerr, age seven, was asked about kissing. And he says, the law says that you have to be 18, so I wouldn't want to mess with that. I think I'll have to tell my little girl, the law says it's 18. Um, Howard, age eight, says this about kissing. He says, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry her and have kids with her, because it's just the right thing to do. Well done, Howard. Craig, age nine, he was asked, what do you do if a date turns sour? He says, I'd run home and I'd play dead. (laughs) The next day, I would call all the newspapers and make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns. Um, Laurie, age eight, was asked, what do your mum and dad have in common? He said, well... They both don't want any more kids. (laughs) Eddie, age six, was asked, how do you tell if two people are married? And he says this. He says, married people usually look happy to talk to other people. Alan, age 10, was asked, how do you decide who to marry? And he says this. He says, you've got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it. And she should just keep the chips and the dips coming. What a wise man that Alan, age 10, is. Kirsten, age 10, says this about deciding who to marry. He says, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before. And you get to find out later who you're stuck with. And then good advice about love. These are what Lynette, age eight, says about love. She says, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. (laughs) Why has he listened to that one? Uh, Ricky, age seven, says, tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck. And Erin, aged eight, says, don't forget your wife's name. That will just mess up the love. He does have a point. She does have a point. 
These are just some funny things that kids, obviously, their impression and understanding of what love is. And I wanted to start by just looking at Matthew 22, if you have your Bibles. Um, Jesus has asked this question um, about what is the greatest commandment. It's 37 to 40, and it says this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus has essentially been approached here and he's saying that everything in the Old Testament hangs on this love. His reason and his being is love. And this radical revolution that he's leading is this four-letter words, love. Do you know, if someone was to describe the essence of your life or the essence of Freedom Church, I want to ask us, would it be the same? I hope that if someone was to spend the day with myself or with Freedom Church, that, you know, they may spot some things. They may go, do you know, it's got great community. There's good teaching. It's Bible-based. We've got worship. There's prayer and there's mission. And yet, if they were to miss out love, then I have to be honest, I would be devastated. I would be devastated. Love is not just a part of a tag-on to the Christian life. It is the very Christian life, this love. And you know, there are lots of things that people look at, and they're going to be looking at us as Freedom Church as to, have we been successful? Okay, what makes a church plan successful? And there might be a range of things that people are looking for. They might be looking for the growth in numbers. They might be looking for uh, to, to, to measure its success. They might be looking at the many ministries that we have that reach out into the community or the amount of people saved and added into the community. They might be looking at the ministries that we have. Are they successful? Are they international? I want to almost, as a caveat to this talk, remind you that, yes, do you know, some of these things look impressive and are genuinely good things that we want. But if we're not growing more in love with God as a church, then I want to say, honestly, we failed. We failed. You know, we could have a church of a thousand. We could have the best teaching in the world, the most impressive spiritual gifts on a Sunday morning, the most amazing worship. Yet as 1 Corinthians tells us, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, without love, it's, it's all pointless. This point here on our vision and values, loving God. I want to say it is the most important point of them all. Without this first and greatest command, that's how Jesus described it. 
None of the others can happen. We can't love one another, truly. We can't love Liverpool. We can't love the nations. We're certainly not living free, and we've got nothing to bring. It is all on this loving God. That is how important this is to Freedom Church. So, I thought I would start this morning really by starting to define a little bit. You know, we've seen by these quotes of these kids that love is a term that is used a lot in our society, and yet it is misunderstood. And so I want to just look at what does the Bible say, okay? What are some of the things that we can look at? How do we not have a distorted view of love, like often society does, like these children as they talk about what love is? It's totally distorted. Do you know, there are many religions in the world today, and almost all of them would describe their God as loving in action. Okay, they have a loving God. I don't think there are many religions that would say their God is not loving. But Christianity is unique. God is love. God is love. It's not that he's loving. He is, by very definition, love. What does that mean? What does that mean, that God is love? Do you know, we've seen God's love towards humankind from the very beginning. Even as I've been studying Genesis um, this week, it's been amazing to see God's intervention into humankind. Okay, we know the story, most of us. God tells Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he says, if you do, you will surely die. Adam tells Eve this, and we see them eating of this tree in total defiance to what God says. And you know, we're not prepared for what happens next. God has said, you will surely die. And God comes, and he starts looking for Adam. And he says, where are you? And he's seeking him in the garden. And he's seeking him not to put him to death, but to reestablish a relationship with him. God, the lover, will not allow sin to stand between him and his creation. And he personally bridges the gap. And we see, actually, that he gives them animal skins to wear. And the significance here that God has provided for them, and it's been costly. Blood has been shed to cover their sin and their shame. And so we see from the very beginning that God is love. And you know, we see the same pattern throughout the whole history of humankind, don't we? We see people turning away from God, abandoning the one true God, and yet he continues time after time after time to stretch out his hands to love his people. The New Testament writers say this, they say, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave 
he gave his one and only son. 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ lay down and gave his life for us. Do you know the love of God is selfless, it's sacrificial, and Jesus' love was submitted to the Father. I just want you to shut your eyes. As we think about what we're called to do, we're called to love God. And you know, sometimes, I would hate this to happen for us as a church, I would hate for us to become over-familiar with the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done, for it to have no impact on our being and our hearts. That would be a devastating place to be in. And I've just written something that I'm going to read out, and it's the story again, this good news of who Jesus is. And I want you to just shut your eyes and I just want you to dwell on who he is and what he's done again. So he was the king of the world. And he was born to a poor young couple in a small town in the middle of nowhere. He exchanges the throne of heaven where he has been forever for an animal's feeding trough in a barn. And you know, for the next 30 years, he sort of goes unnoticed. Nothing was that spectacular that it's worth recording for us to read about, apart from just two stories. Do you know, that doesn't sound strange to you and me. We don't expect to be noticed, apart from our friends and our family. But for him, this must have been quite strange, as he had been, as he had spent forever being the center of heaven's attention. And now, he's just another boy in the village, and he gets treated as such. He gets bullied, he gets ignored, he's forgotten. This is him, whom Revelation 5 says, 10,000 angels have sung 10,000 songs. Do you know he's not born into wealth or influence, as you might have expected God Almighty to do, but into poverty. So he has to learn how to get by, to go without. Do you know, I don't believe God has ever gone without before. And yet now, he has to. He learns a trade, and he works with his hands and with primitive tools. Again, that's quite different to being the creator of all things. As he begins to travel and teach, he gets so exhausted that one day he falls asleep in a boat when there is a huge storm that is lapping over the boat and the winds are roaring. It is that tiring for him before where once he never slept because he is always able, he now experiences human frailty and emotions. Only occasionally does he give a glimpse of the wealth of his glory. Suddenly, we hear his face shines brighter than the sun. And the people say, shall we make you a tent? You haven't spent forever in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit. The company that he now keeps looks very different. He performs miracles. And some people get angry. He utters incredible truths and gets blank looks in response. 
He wants time to himself and the crowds won't leave him alone. He chooses to wash the dusty, dirty, smelly feet of his friends, including the one who would betray him and hand him over to be crucified. Those who like him misunderstand what he's saying and doing. And those who don't call the king of kings a drunkard, a disgrace, a demon. His reputation is actually at stake. The contrast between his previous existence and his current incarnation as man is being pulled into even further contrast until the crescendo of his story is unveiled. This is Jesus who has dwelt in unapproachable light. He now faces a day so terrible that he literally sweats blood in fearful anticipation of it. All of the riches of his relationship with his father are taken away from him as his prayers are met with a deadly silence. He's punched, he's stripped and he's whipped until his body is left unrecognizable. The people that he made parade him through the streets as they spit on him and mock him. He is nailed to a tree as he's hoisted up in the air to be tortured slowly. The sky turns black as the giver of life is dying. He takes upon himself the sins of billions and in doing so is forsaken by his Father, God. Where always he has found favor, he now encounters wrath. Violent hatred for injustices big and small that he has not committed. The guilt of the abuser, the spite of the deceiver, callous betrayals, bitter regrets, all these things that he has never known and never done now rain down on him like the crown of thorns that he was forced, that was forced down on his head. And he takes it. He takes it until there is nothing left to take. He takes it until everything has been accounted for. It is finished, he cries in triumph as he gives up his life. He has given so much. He has given up everything, not for himself. What did he need? For who then? He tells us himself. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. By taking the punishment for our sins, Jesus spared those who put their trust in him, God's judgment, and bought them his favor. He made it possible for God to be both perfectly just and our loving Father who adopts us into his family, and he lavished his love on us. This is the wonderful God that loves us, who has given up everything for us.
I don't want us to become apathetic towards him at all. As I said, if that happens, we failed. He has created us to know his love and to love and praise him. And so I want to just say a few things. This is a massive topic, obviously. And I only have one morning to cover both. So I just want to say a few things on this for us as a church. Maybe just a few warnings, you know. We're called to love God. I want to say, here's some of the things that can happen, okay? And this is where God tells us to watch our hearts, okay? The Old Testament is clear that our love comes from within, actually. It's not about the outside. It's about the in. It's about our hearts, okay? And in the beginning, human beings were made to worship and serve God and then to rule over all created things in God's name. And instead what happened is we fell into sin and when Paul sums up the fall of humanity into sin and Matt so helpfully talked us through what is sin last week, he does so by describing it in terms of an idolatry. And he says this, he says that we refused essentially to give God glory. Okay, so to make him the most important thing. And instead we chose to actually give glory to created things. We end up in idolatry loving created things rather than the creator. And this again has been the human pattern throughout scripture. And I have to be honest, this is for us as a church where we need to watch our lives because I see time and time again my affections and my desires starting to look elsewhere other than God's because there's things out there that are attractive. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our treasure. And I want to say as we love him, as we treasure him and understand that, It protects our heart from worshipping lesser things, the lesser created things. Do you know, we've been called into freedom, haven't we? Called into freedom, literally, from slavery to created things. And the reality is what happened is, instead of us ruling over, God declared that mankind rules over created things, What happened in the hearts of men is that created things started to rule over mankind. We become ruled by them. They dictate our actions and our moves. And you know, more stuff will not make you happier. That's what the Bible tells us. They won't truly satisfy. Not success at work, not more money, not bigger houses, not more relationships. They won't truly satisfy. God is the one who satisfies fully. And so as we love him, we just need to watch our hearts. And we need to constantly go, Lord, is there anything else that I'm following other than you, that I'm starting to love other than you? And the other thing I would say, there's loads of things I could say, I think one of the things that we need to just watch as well is loving the gifts that God gives us. 
Okay. I don't know if you remember this film. If you're a parent, you will know it almost word for words. This is Prince Hans and Honor from the film Frozen. Jonathan, look, he's happy. And here we've got this picture of them together. And actually what happens, the story, the moral, well, I'll say the moral of this story. What happens is Prince Hans, no, uh, yes, that's right, Prince Hans expresses his love for honor. And you see them singing together and enjoying each other. And honor falls head over heels in love with Prince Hans. And then we find out that actually Prince Hans was never in love with honor. He was in love with what the family had. Okay, this great kingdom, great shipping lines, lots of money. And actually his whole motivation for loving her was what he would get. He didn't love her. He loved the things she had. And I want us just to, again, watch our heart. You know, religion says this. It says the goal of religion is to get from God such things as health and wealth and insight and power and control. But the goal of the gospel is so different. It's not the gifts that God gives, but rather God as the gift given to us by grace. And when we are to love God, I want us to appreciate and love the things that he gives us. But let's not mistake those things for who he actually is. Our love as we love him is for him. It's for him because he is worthy. He is the one who is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. So that means when your prayers aren't answered in the way that you want them answered, do we stop loving him? No. It's difficult. When you're diagnosed with a health condition that you think, why have I got this? Does that mean we stop loving God? No. He is love. And he loves us with an unconditional love. I want to say there is no other type of love. You get some people saying, I've loved this person unconditionally. There is no other type of love. If it isn't unconditionally, then it's control. It's dependent. And we say things like, oh, I just love my hairdresser. I won't go anywhere else. But I want to say, you don't love your hairdresser. You appreciate your hairdresser. If they give you a bad haircut, I tell you what, you're going to think twice about going back. We say, oh, we love this food. We love pizza. You know, you don't love pizza. You just enjoy it. God loves us unconditionally. And he wants us to love him with an unconditional love, with his love. Okay? I want us to look at loving one another because we don't have much time. Do you know, what are some of the crazy things that you've done for love? Anyone, any stories? Crazy things you've done? Josh? Who to Liverpool? That's way crazy, Josh. Anybody else? Do you know, I remember when I um, wanted to propose to tour, I decided it would be a great idea to hire a car and to drive up, she was living in Birmingham at the time, to drive down to Birmingham and then take her away to Edinburgh for the weekend. And I'd book the theatre and I'd book restaurants and 
I'd planned out exactly when I was going to do this. There was a lot of preparation and planning. Now, the crazy thing was I couldn't really drive, you know. I was risking life and limb by getting into the car. I remember, actually, it was my boss who, um, that's not to say I didn't have a driving license. I did, but I hadn't driven in years. And I said to my boss, look, can I use your car? And he said, he said yeah, but let's just go for a drive first. And so he took me around in the car and he said, Chris, he said, I'll be praying for you. He said, uh, it's a good job my car's insured, and if it was anybody else, I wouldn't give it to them. Um, but he trusted me with this car, and uh, I got there safely just. Um, but there are some crazy things that people do for love, isn't there, and to express their love. And just a few. We have, uh, who knows who this is? It's who? Edward VIII. Well done. And his mistress, Wallace Simpson. So, obviously, this guy was somebody who essentially was cheating on his wife, but he loved this woman so much that he was prepared to give up the throne because he could not imagine being on the throne without her. And in a broadcast to the nation... In December 1936, after spending just 325 days as monarch, he said this. He says, I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. Crazy sorts of actions of love here. That he's given up being king of England's for this woman. And then we have, you know what this portrait is of? Henry VIII. And who is the lady? Who? <laughs> Anyone give me a good guess? Berlin. I'm Berlin. So we know what he did, don't we? He loved this woman so much that he wanted to get a divorce with his first wife. And the Catholic Church said, no way. We're not allowing you to do this. So he set up the Church of England, all for the sake of being married to Anne Boleyn. He obviously loved her so much, that's why he ended up with six wives. So. Yeah. But, you know, these are some radical things that people have done. And I want to say this, love changes the way that we see ourselves and therefore we see others. Okay? And there's something important in this that I think often we miss. You know, you cannot give away something that you don't have. How can someone love another person if they don't love themselves? Do you know, our identity in how we are viewed comes from knowing God's love, knowing how he views us. And so this is why, actually, this first one is so important, loving God and receiving his love. Because if we do not love ourselves, and we love ourselves by knowing who God has made us to be, by knowing our identity in Him, that is how we love others. Because we know how God views others. We know the value that He puts on them. We know the pains that He's gone to of dying on the cross for each and every person. Colossians 3 says, We are God's chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. Jesus, as I've already described as I talk through, 
carried out the craziest, most radical act of love for you and me. He's besotted with you. Do you know that? And I believe even if there was just you in this world and you alone, I believe he would still do the same thing. He would die in that way for you. To live free, what does that mean? It means we need to love ourselves as Christ loves us. And in doing so, we can love others. I just want to look at two verses on this loving one another. Okay? Because again, there is so much in the Bible that we could look at on loving one another. This new community. And I want to say this as a community. I, I love what's going on amongst us. And I love how God is shaping us and how actually there is love here. But I do think there's so much more for us to grasp and to understand. Okay? I think um, John 13, 34 says, A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do you know, this is Jesus sitting there maybe 12 hours before He goes on trial and is crucified. And he's sitting with his mates and he leaves them with this. This command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And it's a new command. And, do you know, love is supernatural. And it is something that we choose to do. We're to love other believers regardless of how we feel about them or how unlovable they may appear. Do you know, no matter how difficult it may seem, we're to actively and consistently and deeply love each other. I don't want to be a church full of just homogenous people. Diversity shows God's lavish love. Homogenous people is like-minded people. I don't want us to be a church of the middle class. I don't want us to be a church of just educated people. Actually, the church has been made to resemble every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And we've already had it as we prayed in that first week. What is Freedom Church going to look like? I think it was Becky who brought this word about God bringing lots of different people to us. And some people who we may not find it easy to get on with. We may not immediately find it easy to strike relationship or conversation with them. You may not even know how to approach them. And yet God calls us to be a supernatural community that expresses love to the body. And I'm praying that more and more diversity comes into this church. I want us to be put in uncomfortable positions because it's God growing us. 
It's God giving us opportunities to grow in his love as we love one another. Do you know, we've not even been asked to try and do this. This is a command. We've been commanded to love. To love like Jesus. As we've said, the love of Christ, it's sacrificial. It's selfless. And it's submitted to the Father. John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Do you know, the whole world is watching us. It's watching how we love one another. And Jesus gave the world the right to judge authenticity of our faith by how much we love one another. We prove our faith in Christ, not by the rules that we keep, but by the love that we give. And notice Jesus didn't say, love me as proof of our discipleship. He said, love one another, and that will show the world that you belong to me. As I said, we can't, it's impossible, I think it's impossible to love God and not love others. You're hearing this, this is why this is so important. It's impossible to love God and to not love others. So I think the world is absolutely desperate for love and a sense of community. And we are to be that community, to be the salt that increases their thirst for the living water. And our influence within Liverpool is based upon our love for one another. You may be the only picture of Jesus people will ever see. Are you hearing that? You may be the only picture of Jesus that other people will ever see. What are they going to see when they look at you? What are they going to see when they come to us? Are they going to see a love for one another? You know, people are less impressed with our words than they are with our actions of love for one another. Your love for one another, I want to say this, it speaks volumes about God's love. And I want to ask you this morning, how loud is our voice going to be? How loud is our voice going to be? I want to just ask, what does it look like Okay, to love one another. I've mentioned a few things about what God has called us to do and how we're supposed to act. But I, there are so many passages I could look at, but I want to just name a few things. The Bible, on one anothering, the Bible has so many one anotherings going on. It talks about encouraging one another, admonishing one another, being patient with one another, welcoming each other, Confessing your sins to one another. Forgiving one another. Bearing with one another's burdens. Do you know if we're grumbling about each other, which can happen, if we are not patient with each other, if actually we're discouraging others, 
in the church? If we're not being honest with each other, if we're not spurring one another on, then we're not loving one another. There are so many areas in our lives that we can show to the world God's love. And my heart is that as people come to us, they will see and tangibly feel the love of God in our lives as a church and before God. I haven't mentioned this, I actually missed this out, but why can we love God? I want to say just two things on this as I end. Why is it that we can love God? Because at times we might find it difficult. At times we might feel, I'm just struggling. And I want to say this, as we look at Jesus, we know that he first loved us. Okay? As I said, he gave up everything. He first loved us. And I think in that sense, it makes me just want to love him. That as I was wretched, and I was mocking him, and I was against him, he still loved me. And I think secondly, he now lives in us. Okay? He lives in us. The Bible tells us, um, in Jeremiah 31, it says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. His very spirit now dwells in you and me. His very spirit dwells in us. It's not that we are having to abide by the law now. Actually, our heart, our very heart, he's written his law of love on our hearts. And it makes us just want to live for him and love him. So when you start questioning, oh, I just can't do this, I just can't love him in this way, I'm going to say to you, totally wrong. Okay? He has sent his spirit to dwell in you. And he's given you up authority and power to live free and to bring his freedom. Because he is in you. And so when you're struggling and you're saying, I just don't know how to live this out. I'm not feeling this love for him. Call on his name and ask him, Spirit, help me to love, to love you. To love God the Father. To love Jesus. And to love the Spirit. And I want to guarantee you that he will help you. This is his delight. This is what he's here for. To bring glory to the Father and the Son. So how are we going to love God? We're going to love him because the very God of love lives in us. He's made it easy for us. But let's watch our hearts. Let's watch the way we live. And let's love one another as a community. Okay? I'm going to pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you've called us into such a radical journey with you. I want to thank you that you haven't left us here without you. 
but you sent your Spirit to dwell in us. And you've given us all your amazing gifts. I want to pray for us as Freedom Church, Lord. My one desire, honestly, is that we would grow more and more in love with you. Not just through an academic of getting to know you, understanding, but a heart-to-heart connection. Actually truly loving you. The person of Jesus. Spirit, I thank you that this is your delight. That as we ask you, you will deliver on these things. And I want to pray that as we look back in 12 months' time, we will see a community continuing to be transformed by your power, loving you and loving each other. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.